the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. The views and opinions expressed by Rob Black and his guests are not necessarily those of KDOW or its management owners or advertisers and should not be construed as legal tax or investment advice. Always consult with the appropriate advisor before making any investment or financial planning decision. Insightful. Informative. Irreverent. We're ready. 1220 KDOW presents Rob Black and Your Money. Your source for breaking news, market updates, and successful investment strategies for the 21st century. Sounds like a great program. Getting you to retirement in today's market. So let's get on with the show. Taxes, family finance, insurance, the economy, technology, media, and entertainment. Rob is talking about it with you at 800-516-1220. So call in. We'll chat and uh, have some fun. You're listening to the best of Rob Black and your money on the Bay Area's business leader, 1220 KDOW. So one of the things I like to do is kind of a Money 101, 20 Lessons to Financial Freedom, just like trying to package financial information for you. I think it helps, you know, setting priorities, making a budget, the basics of what is a stock. Like even that simple concept to me is a wild concept to some people out there. Why do we talk about money? Why do we save money? Um... That's a good question, and basically it comes down to Social Security. If that's what you're counting on, you're probably going to be living a life in poverty. We know that as we age, a lot of Americans are going to develop diabetes. And we're like, well, maybe I should lose some weight, but you don't. You also know that Social Security is not enough. It's a supplemental program, and that most of what Social Security pays out to you will go to your health care. So food and living will be... You know, travel, um, electricity, things like that, housing, will become a bigger and bigger issue. So I do these shows to kind of like get, get you set in the mood for thinking, i got to save a million dollars. A million dollars will pay $40,000 a year. So security will pay probably eh, between 1200 and 3000 a month. So what's that, 14000 to 36000 a year, roughly. So I think most people could live off 50000 pre-tax but maybe you can maybe you can't what's your what's your budget one of the areas that kind of freaks people out is asset allocation practicing asset allocation is the single most important thing any investor for their future could ever do why because time is on your side if you've got more years until retirement you can afford to put a greater percentage of your assets in the stock market that's great. Another reason is because stocks mean risk and return. If you have a higher tolerance for volatility, should you know having time and asset allocation works for you. Um, if you have no tolerance for risk, then you know your asset allocation may skew towards 
conservative. Um, asset allocation also means things like saving for college costs. They're rising higher and faster than inflation. No other investment's going to keep pace as well as stocks do. So asset allocation is something that you want to get some professional advice on or at least read and study and get a basic concept of asset allocation. The only professional I ever recommend you working with is a certified financial planner. Not a stockbroker, not an insurance guy, not the guy down at the bank who's got like a qualified retirement specialist. That's a BS title. Only title that means anything to me is certified financial planner. With asset allocations, you're talking about stocks. You're talking about what are assets? Stocks, bonds, real estate, baseball trading cards. So allocation is the key to achieving your goals, but also knowing what to allocate into the product of what the assets is very important. Um, studies have shown that asset allocation is the single most important factor to determine returns from investing. So before you set up your asset allocation plan, you got to find out, you know, the nature of the companies purchased by the mutual funds or the exchange traded funds inside of it or index funds. It's not enough to go by the names of the funds like, ooh, the Frontier Fund, that sounds lovely. Or the Dominize Social Fund. I, I believe in being social. Um, in search of performance, far too many fund managers buy stocks that barely fit their portfolio's investing parameters. So your income fund may, and in practice, you know, contain a stocks that should be considered growth and vice versa. So when you pick up exchange rate funds and index funds, you really should look at what the holdings are and like make sure that you're kind of comfortable. Same thing with bond funds. When I do a Money 101 kind of here's how you get to retirement, it's, I really don't focus a lot on bonds. Um, software programs, and this is something that I see regularly living in the Bay Area, is a lot of engineers want to do it themselves and they'll, they'll set up a spreadsheet or they'll, you know, work some software and go, okay, I th this is what I think I need to, you know, do my allocation. And it misses a lot. It may assumes a lot and it makes a lot of mistakes. Um, understanding your long-term goals, you know, do you want a sailboat after you retire? Do you want to pay off your mortgage so you can write a novel? Uh, you got to get started. It's never too late to revamp or revise an asset allocation plan, but if you don't have the you know plan, you can't revise it, right? So you have to get started. Asset allocation, what is it, right? It's about not putting all your eggs in one basket. It's the ultimate protection should things go wrong in one investment class or the sector. A lot of people loaded up in tech stocks in the 1990s, and the upside was very, very good, but the downside was just as bad. And a lot of people got in late because they kept hearing about their buddies making money, their buddies making money. They'd say, time to jump in. And, like, Yahoo wants $250 a share. It fell all the way to, like, $8. Are you with me or are you against me? A bad year in the stock market may show up as nothing more than an insignificant blip over 40 years. 
And that's, you know, the nature of, of me is I want you to invest from age 20 to 60, and then I want you to manage it from age 60 to 100. Historically, the stock market is the best long-term investment vehicle. It's one that beats bonds. It's one that beats real estates. Stock market is historically the best because it can deliver an average return of roughly 10% annually for those willing to stick it out. It's best to buy more when the market is down because you're getting it on sale. The stock market is a lot more volatile than other investments, of course. It hasn't been recently, but it will be again. Your risk tolerance and goals will determine how much you put into three investment categories. Um, the ultimate financial goal is, again, retirement. If you're retiring 15 years, you know, you've got a little tolerance for wild swings. You may want to keep 50% in stocks and 40% in bonds and 10% in cash. So cash is considered an asset class as well. You have to get the right mix of small, mid, large value and growth, some sort of international, some sort of income. I think your asset allocation could start right there, 20% of small, 20% of mid, 20% of large, 20% of income, and 20% of emerging markets. And then you go, okay, well, I don't really like the international markets right now, so maybe you go with a smaller number there, and you put some of that into small companies in the United States, because small companies in the United States don't have a lot of exposure to international companies or to you know international politics. So that's the basic idea of starting. You know, you got to determine, you know, uh, what components go in. And then, like, if you want a little bit more stability, maybe you'd go with a large cap value. You know, I look at asset allocation as, you know, uh, very much so particularly stocks, bonds, cash. Inside the stocks, you want diversification. Talk a little bit more about this. We'll take a break. We'll be right back. You can find me online at robblack.com. You can find me, email me, rob at robblackshow.com. It's rob at robblackshow.com. Talk a little asset allocation. Take a break here. Be right back. You're listening to the best of Rob Black and your money on AM 1220, KDOW. You're listening to the best of Rob Black and your money on AM 1220, KDOW. So I'm Rob Black talking all things financial money, investing, and more. Talking a little asset allocation. What is it? Why do you care about it? Again, there's something I would refer to as equity, uh, asset allocation, equity diversification. Asset allocation is a great concept that everyone really needs to try to you know get behind and understand. It's an investment strategy to rebalance or to balance risk and to rebalance your portfolio. 
So when my large cap fund does really, really well five years in a row, one year in a row, I take some off. I do an automatic rebalance so that my asset allocation doesn't become overweighted. There's equities, there's fixed income, and there's cash and cash strategy. The less you're going to grow your money over time. The more equities you have, the more you're going to grow your money over time, if history holds true. Fixed income is somewhere in the middle. Fixed income, bonds or real estate investment trusts, for instance. There's no simple formula that finds the right asset allocation for every single individual. There's some asset allocation mutual funds, which are known as life cycle funds or target funds. Those are an attempt to provide investors with portfolio structures that address investors' age, risk, appetite, risk suitability. Uh, critics of the life cycle funds point out that arriving at a standardized solution, you know, you know, if you're going to read, uh, let me try to explain this a little bit better. Let's say the year's 2015, because you have to kind of round up or round down when doing a life cycle. A life cycle fund will do something like say, okay, you're 30 and the year is 2015. You're going to retire in the year 2045. I had 30 years, 30 plus 30 years, 60 years old now. So it does the math for you. It says, okay, you need some international this much. You need some emerging markets. You need some Thailand, which is an emerging market. And as you get, as you're younger, it says that you need a lot more equities. You need a lot more, um, you know, equity stocks. As you're getting older, it's going to skew more towards fixed income and cash. So having that standardized solution is problematic because individual investors require individual solutions. There's no doubt about it. But for most of you out there, I would prefer you do a life cycle or a target date fund. And then later on, as you've accumulated some money, say, okay, now let's approach this again. I haven't saved enough, and I'm 40, so I'm not going to retire in, let's add 20 years to the year, call that 2035. So I better change and be riskier and go with maybe a 2045 fund or 2050, 2055. I need more equities. You can do it that way. Again, there's no one right answer. And what I've often found is that people get wealthy over time by accumulating assets. And that's why asset allocation is so important. If you look at it and you say, yeah, I'm going to buy some Nike. That's an equity. That's a stock. And then next year, you're like, oh, I want to buy some Facebook. And if, as long as you don't sell and you're buying these companies that have been around for years and years that you think are going to be around for years and years, you end up doing pretty well. Now, I don't want people going after individual stocks more often than not. I would much rather um, people look more long-term. But strategic asset allocation, am I looking long-term? I like indexes. Like if you were going to get a large-cap index, a small-cap index, a small uh, mid-cap index, I, I think you can go that way. There's no one simple formula. You do want you, you are cutting down risk. The projected 10-year cumulative return after inflation, where stock returns 8% yearly, bond returns 4.5%, inflation 3%. Uh, if you get 80% stocks and 20% bonds, the projected 10-year would be about 52%. Um, there's a lot of, if you go 20% stocks and 80% bonds because you're really nervous and you want to protect it, 
your 10-year return is going to only be about 24%. Um, you have to have a willingness to go long-term with your money and not to go, I'm going to go in and go out. Because I look at it as kind of a horse race where large-cap companies will do well in the horse race against mid-cap. Oh, but some of your small caps just just absolutely knock it out of the park, and they make large cap and mid cap the wrong ones to own. But then you get like gold that does awful, and you get cash that does awful, um, or you get a you know Malaysia does great, Thailand does awful, but they all move forward over time, and they all f- cross the finish line. And none of them seem to work for more than two to three years in a row as the best. Gold will have a good two to three years, and then it'll have an awful 10 years. Um, Benjamin Graham once said, we have suggested as a fundamental guiding rule that the investor should never have less than 25% or more than 75% in common stocks, uh, with a consequence inverse range of 75% in stocks to 25% bonds. Uh, John Bogle says, you know, you want roughly your age in bonds. For instance, if you're 45, 45% of your portfolio should be in high-quality income. We will have a massive correction again at some point in time. We will have many corrections along the way. And that's when you, you're like, ooh, good thing I own these bonds. Because I'm just going to sit and wait for them to mature. Get my money back. <laughs> Sucker over there is down 50%. Um, yeah, you don't want to be down 50% the year you retire. That's why you don't want to be in stocks 100%. So what you need to succeed in asset allocation is time horizon. You don't want the money for a while. You want some income that comes in so you can continue to buy, accumulating assets. You need an emergency fund so that when something bad happens in your life, you don't look at the stocks as your your piggy bank. Um, And that's kind of what you need, and you need to rebalance. I say at least once a year, sometimes twice a year. You know, a core portfolio would be 60-40 allocation would be like 36% U.S. market, 40% bond market, 6% REIT, 18% international markets. But that's just like one example. There's something called a coffeehouse market, which gives you 10% of everything almost. 10% REITs, 10% total international, 10% small value, 10% blend, 10% large value, 10% large blend, and 40% bond fund. Like, it's pretty crazy the way this, this dissects, but write down asset allocation and probably think life cycle or target date funds as a good way of approaching it, and you can tweak it later. I'm Rob Black, talking all things financial, money, investing, and more. Find me online at robblack.com. Email me, rob at robblackshow.com. You're listening to the best of Rob Black and your money. On AM 1220,
You're listening to the best of Rob Black and your money on AM 1220, KDOW. I'm Rob Black talking all things financial money, investing, and more. I like to do a series on podcasts of radio shows tied towards getting the basic information out there, you know, budgets and goals and asset allocation, equity diversification. One of the lessons that I like to bring up is your 401k because it's kind of awesome. Your 401k, your 403b, your 457 has compelling benefits. They're all very similar. They're all qualified retirement plans. It's a way to reduce your taxable income since contributions come out of your pay before taxes are withheld. Many plans include a matching contribution from your employer, free money. The money you save benefits from tax-deferred growth, which lets your money compound double more quickly than it would be if it were taxed yearly. Um, I've got our regular, well, I'm not even going to get into the regular. I'm just going to talk more. I'm going to talk QRPs. The federal limit on annual pre-tax 401k contributions is on the rise. 17500 23000 if you're older than 50. And that'll adjust higher every few years. Matching contributions are free money. If you can't afford to max out your 401k, at least do enough to get the matching contribution. Free money. Uh, one of the things I'm surprised at is... You work at a company and they say, okay, for every $6,000, we'll match 50 cents on every dollar up to 6% of all your salary. It's free money. It's for your future, but it's still free money. And people turn it down, which is kind of interesting. So talking about a 401k, you get a job. The best thing you could do is to start early, get a job early. Get out of the house, get out of the nest. Um, and a lot of people don't sign up for the 401k because they're like, well, this is my first paycheck, I'm going to go spend it on clothes. And then, oh, this is my second paycheck, I'm going to go spend it on a car. Oh, this is my third paycheck, oh gosh, I got a car payment. So you want to refuse free money. You get an immediate tax break. So my federal taxes, let's say I was at the 25% bracket last year, any money that I put into a 401k doesn't pay federal taxes. It means a dollar is a dollar. It's not quite because you pay state taxes, but that's that's pretty virgin money. That's pretty sweet. Uh, the possibility of a matching contribution is even better. Um, like right now, if you have a dollar in your pocket, it once was a buck, you know, thirty, because you've been taxed at twenty-five percent. Again, that's our hypothetical number. So there are. Other federal non-discrimination tests a 401k must meet, one of which applies to highly compensated employees. Federal law sets guidelines for what's permissible and what's not, tight restrictions. Um, For all of its tax advantages, the 401k is not penalty-free. If you pull out the money before you're 59 and a half, you owe income taxes on the amount that you withdraw, plus an additional 10% penalty. Be aware of your plan's vesting schedule. Sometimes you have to be at a company a whole year before the company does matches. You know, 
but any of the money that you put in is yours. You've got a 401k. Now you need to know how to use it. It's like having a car, but you've got to learn how to avoid a crash. Um, I max out my 401k every year, and I have basically every year that I've been working. Um, if you're just starting to plan for retirement at age 40, you'll need to put away a lot more than when you're in your 20s. Typically, most financial planners will say 10% at least of what you want to put in your 401k, maybe 15% if you can afford it. Now, keep in mind, if a company matches 6% and you do 10, you're at 16%. Your big task right now is to determine how you should be invested for the long haul. For starters, you want a mixture of stocks, bonds, and cash. That's asset allocation. There's two big key factors when picking asset allocation, your risk tolerance and how many years you have left. The more risk you can tolerate, i.e. when you hear that the stock market is down, I'm like, woohoo, it's where there's a sale. Now, some people go, oh, man, my money's going down. That's not for you then. You want less risk. But I think you're wrong. Um, if you've got 20 plus years, you can afford to have a higher percentage of stocks in your portfolio. Typically, right around 10 is when I start saying, you know, you, you got to be careful. Um, if you want a link to a asset allocator link, drop me an email, rob at robblackshow.com. I'll send you a link. Once you've got, you know, your asset allocation idea in your head, then you move on. There's things to look for when you're picking a, a fund or an ETF. If you're looking for the one that has the highest returns, that's the wrong way of going about it. You're looking for the one that have had the highest returns compared to their peers. So you compare a large cap fund to a large cap fund, and you're looking over a three, five, 10 year lifespan. You're looking for low prices, a fund's expense ratio, what you're charged annually. Uh, you want it as low as possible because honestly, stocks and index funds work over time pretty well. And the more fees associated with it, the less you save. You can get a lot of these target funds with 10 basis points. 100 basis points is 1%. So for every $100 you put in to a target fund, they only, they only take 10 cents. 10 basis points, uh, 100, one basis point is 1%, right? A dollar. So you want to look at uh, expense fees. If I would prefer you go with an index fund versus a managed fund. A managed fund has a portfolio manager. I'm not saying all portfolio managers are bad, but I prefer that you lean towards index fund. And if you do go towards a managed fund, I think you want to look at, you know, their track record. Um, are you paying a lot just to get average performance? And if so, why not just do an index fund with less fees? You know, uh, there's always going to be debacles to look at. With 401ks, you have the problem of what my brother Michael did in the 90s. He got scared, cashed out his 401k, had to pay income taxes on it and penalties. The penalties seem kind of harsh, but they're too dis... Uh, disincentivize you from doing it in your life. It's tempting to go to the 401k, but it's not a piggy bank for the short term. It's a piggy bank for the long term. You know, there's something called a hardship withdrawal, though. 
you're allowed to make withdrawals, for example, for certain qualified hardships. Um, you're still going to pay the income taxes. You want to comb the fine print of your 401k plan prospectus. It will spell out what exactly is a hardship. Every plan varies. So that may include withdrawals after the onset of a sudden disability. It could be money for the purchase of a first home, money for a burial or funeral cost, money to repair your home, money for payment of higher education expenses, money for payments necessary to prevent eviction or foreclosure, and some medical expenses that could crop up that are kind of very specific. You could do a loan in a 401k. A lot of people absolutely hate this, but I got to talk about it because we're talking about 401ks, 403bs and 457s. Uh, 401k is a for-profit company. A 403b is a qualified retirement plan for a nonprofit. Very similar product though. So most major 401k companies offer that loan provision. Restrictions vary by company to company, but most let you withdraw no more than 50% of your vested value as a loan. You can use 401k money for anything at all, tuition for graduate school tickets, or for tuition for graduate school. You can get tickets to see, you know, a Vegas show with a 401k loan. You can get a car. You repay the loan with interest the, through deductions taken directly from your paychecks. Borrowing from your 401k if you absolutely must is a cost-effective way to obtain a loan since you're borrowing money from yourself and paying it back with low interest. It's your money, and you don't have to go through the extensive credit checks and things like that. The biggest disadvantage is you're robbing from your future and you're kind of doing some financial engineering. You may repay the money when you withdraw. You lose the compounded interest that you would receive had the money sat in the account. In the last five years, if you've had a loan against your 401k, you've lost 200%. So you've lost the up market. So try not to do it. Some companies restrict you from continuing to contribute to your 401k until you pay back the loan. Um, if you lose your job, you have to pay back the loan. Whether you quit, get laid off, fired, it becomes immediately due. Before you take out a 401k loan, you need to consider what would happen if you found yourself without a job, and that does happen. I think I've hit the 401k pretty good. Um, there's something called a 72T which I once read that the T stood for, it's a rule. It stood for AT&T because in the 80s, so many AT&T, you know, they were buying each other, breaking up Mother Ma Bell, and a lot of managers were retiring. They had this great 401k from AT&T stock all those years, but they couldn't retire because you couldn't get the money until they were 59 and a half. But under the 72T, you got to take withdrawals for at least five years or until you reach age 59 and a half. If you're 56 and poised to retire, You'll get a specified amount every year for five years until you're 61. It's a way of withdrawing without penalty. It's kind of nerdy. I'm Rob Black. You can find me online, robblack.com. You can find me, uh, email, rob at robblackshow.com. You're listening to the best of Rob Black and your money on AM 1220, KDOW. You're listening to the best of Rob Black and your money on AM 1220, KDOW.
talk a little 401ks. It's one of the greatest vehicles to get you to retirement. Think of it as a car. Well, no, think of it as wheels and a frame. And you have to like figure. Well, think of it as a vehicle that gets you to retirement. <laughs> you have to buy. You have to load it up with mutual funds or exchange traded funds or indexes. Um, it's the greatest way to save for retirement. Probably because it automates things. If I had to sit down and write a check every month for whatever reason, I probably wouldn't. When you change jobs, your choices sometimes are, do I leave the 401k or do I move it? I like moving it into an IRA. So if you work at Oracle or Visa and you change jobs, your paperwork will still come from Oracle or Visa about your 401k. Now, typically, it's, you know, it's outsourced, so it'll come from Fidelity or whoever the company uses for the 401k. But when you leave, you don't want to leave the 401k there because it's their choices, and that's really the only reason. I like being in control. I like having all my things in easier to find. And also, when you start collecting 401ks, like let's say you have five jobs in 10 years, you start getting some redundancies or you start getting some overweights that are bad. So you lose your job at Visa this week, or what was the other example, Oracle. You call your 401k company, and let's say it's Fidelity, and you say, I want to do, and it's 800 Fidelity or 800 Vanguard, I want to roll over my 401k into a self-directed IRA. Now, these companies are so good at what they do, you're done. They're going to walk you through it at this point in time. So that's me. Now, if you're uncomfortable with that or if you really like your old 401k, keep it there. It's not, the money's not going to go away. You're not going to lose it. If you move, update your records. That's always important. There are good reasons to take your 401k money with you. Some planners argue it's good to have all your money in one pot working for you as a single asset. You have access to, you know, that way to a loan you can tap in case of emergencies. If you're moving to another job that does not offer a 401k, it makes sense in most cases to move the cash into an IRA because you'll have greater control. Instead of 10 or 20 investment choices, you'll have access to hundreds and thousands of funds. It's important to remember that 401k accounts are a bit more protected from creditors than IRAs. Uh, something that you should be aware of if you ever do go bankrupt. There's something called portability rules. In the old days, investors were required to put 401k money into something called a rollover IRA or a conduit IRA if they thought they might move the cash back into another 401k. You had to be real careful not to mix the money with any other retirement dollars, and they couldn't make new contributions to it either. But you're kind of free to blend those dollars now. You can put 401k money into an existing IRA and continue making contributions, or you can move your 401k account to a new IRA and then transfer it to a Roth IRA. And again, in all cases, just make sure you're doing what's called a trustee-to-trustee transfer when you have to move the money. That means you direct the company housing your account to arrange the transfer with your old employer. A trustee-to-trustee transfer will avoid costly traps uh, when your old employer writes a check to you for the balance and you've got 60 days to deposit it into a new account. Um, be careful with that because, you know, you can forget. You can get into a car accident. You can lose the check. And so you get massive taxes and you're cashed out of your retirement plan way too early. The one part that's kind of tricky, and 
it's tough to explain on radio, is taking the withdrawals in retirement. You've saved money. You've maxed it out. You've done the 17500 You've done the 22500 You know, you've done it. Congratulations. Now, I've seen more millionaires in 401ks than I've anything, anywhere else. But now that you're retired, you've got this big pot of money. What are you going to do? And keep in mind, one of the strategies I like, if you hit the right income strategy, income threshold, is have both a Roth IRA and a 401k. So you get the Roth IRA funded with as much as you can. You get the 401k funded as much as you can. Um, and then in retirement, you're going to have this option of, do you want to pay taxable out of one account? And do you want to like get a uh, an RV that's going to cost you 100000 out of the Roth because then you're not paying taxes on that 100000 So 100000 is really 100000 but if you pull $100,000 out of a 401k, you're going to pay, you know, the 100000 tax bracket. Um, there's something called a lump sum distribution. If you need a wad of cash right now, that option gives you, you know, a lot of cash. The downside is you forfeit the benefits of the tax-deferred compounding by cashing out all at once. Um, a lot of people take their money out of the 401k and they incorrectly and stupidly and foolishly give it to an insurance salesperson who sells them an annuity. Um it's really, really bad idea. I think you should tap taxable accounts first in retirement to keep the money growing tax deferred as long as possible. Again, this is one of the reasons why you kind of need a CFP when you retire to help come up with a strategy of making your money last as long as it can. So if you're retiring and you have money outside the 401k, you don't have to take it at 62. You don't have to take it at 63, 64, 65, 66, 67, 68. You could wait till 70 and a half. That's when you have to take money out of the 401k. Um, rolling money into an IRA is another idea, since it gives you greater investment choice and control. So you're done with your career. Now you can roll it into an IRA and self-directed. Instead of being in index funds, you can say, I'm, I'm going to load up on some income stocks, for instance. Um, so anyway, that's some of the ideas on 401ks. I think I hit that pretty good. If you have any questions, always drop me an email, rob at robblack.com. It's rob at robblack.com or rob at robblackshow.com now. Um, I would avoid annuities with that 401k money in retirement. Um, find me on Twitter, Rob Black Show. Twitter, Rob Black Show. Find me on YouTube, Rob Black Show. Don't be shy with your questions. We're doing the Money 101 series. Take a break here. We'll talk soon. Views and opinions expressed by Rob Black and his guests are not necessarily those of the Wall Street Business Network, this station, its management, owners, or advertisers, and should not be construed as legal, tax, or investment advice. Always consult with the appropriate advisor before making any investment or financial planning decision. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn. 
deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.